This episode contains strong language and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. I know there's questions about whether the four children that were killed in Oakland County that we know of, uh, did some of that happen on North Fox Island? North Fox Island. Fox Island. The whole Fox Island thing was a big trigger to make me talk. North Fox Island. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been hidden, buried. North Fox Island, you know, I, I hear that name and it, it gives me shivers. We're always going to ask the question is, okay, how much of this is folklore and how much of this is actual truth? This is Oakland County Chief Assistant Prosecutor Paul Walton. Whether it's a lead or a rabbit hole right now, I don't know. Welcome back to Shattered. December 28, 1975. Detroit Free Press writer Jim Neubacher writes a feature titled North Fox, One Man's Rare Dot on the Universe. It's a three-page spread. On the headline page are two large photos. One is the island. It spreads across the length of the paper in black and white. And just below is a photo of a man walking on a beach. The titular man whose rare dot on the universe is North Fox Island. His name is Francis Sheldon, although back then he was better known as Frank. At the time of the article, Sheldon is 47 years old. In the photo of Sheldon on the paper, he's walking towards the camera. And in the distance, you can see waves breaking on the shoreline, a tree line ending at the sand in the distance. Sheldon has an unbuttoned jacket, flannel shirt underneath. His hands are tucked into his pockets. He's wearing a hat, which looks to be covering a bald head. He's looking back at the camera through his thick-rimmed glasses with a smile on his face. The caption below the photo of the island describes it like this. It says it's spread in the midst of Lake Michigan, like a giant manta ray sunning itself, which gives you a pretty good idea of the island's shape. And just in case you decide to Google North Fox, the search will likely take you to its bigger brother, South Fox Island. North Fox is about four miles northeast. The article describes Sheldon as a rich bachelor who flies his own plane, invests in the market, dabbles in oil, and studies geology. He came from a strong Detroit area family. His great-grandfather was governor, who went on to be a senator, who served um, as the Secretary of War for the McKinley administration. This is Marnie Keenan, former Detroit news writer and author of The Snow Killings, a book all about the Ogun County child killer. He's the reason we have the war memorial. And uh, his father, Francis Sheldon's father, was a real estate developer um, who built Rosedale Park and Gross Point Farms. The Sheldon name meant something. In fact, the Sheldon name goes back nearly 170 years in the Detroit area. His earliest ancestors made a fortune in dry goods and would marry with the Elger family, another well-to-do group. They were well-known because Russell Elger was an army hero and would later found Edison Electric Light Company. Frank's mother came from the Duffields, which is another famous Detroit family. The Sheldons would eventually invest their money into land and land development. The wealth would only grow. Sheldon went to Cranbrook schools. Cranbrook is one of Metro Detroit's premier learning facilities. Sheldon thrived in school, and he would get his B.A. from Yale, 
he served in the Michigan Air Guard. He backpacked and skied. He would say this about himself, quote, Ever since I was a little boy, I've been an outdoors type of person, end quote. Sheldon bought North Fox Island in 1960 for $23 per acre, which rounded out to about $20,000. Have you always been a meticulous record keeper? Pretty much. <laughs> if you saw my stacks at home, they still need to. Kathy Firestone is a historian of northern Michigan and an author. She knows more about North Fox Island than most. In 1996, she published The Fox Islands, North and South. Not long ago, we met at the Grand Traverse Lighthouse, at the tip of the Leelanau Peninsula. So to visualize where we're at, if you take your right hand, palm side facing you, keep your fingers together, your thumb out, you basically have a map of Michigan. Now at the very tip of your ring finger is where Kathy and I are sitting. It's about 20 miles away from North Fox Island. He introduced deer to the island, he wanted to have a resort for people who had um, their own small aircraft. And he had an uh, airfield um, built over there, he had a docking uh, area built and constructed three or four buildings. Well, I remember when they hauled the deer in there from, uh, let's see, I can't remember how they, whether they hauled them to Fox Island and it went to South Fox Island. This is Joan Kalchik Tenbrock. She runs Cal Excavating, which is a company located on the Leelanau Peninsula. Back in the 60s and 70s, her father-in-law ran the company. She remembers their crew doing quite a bit of work for Sheldon. He was very nice, very pleasant. The Kalchik Excavating workers spent a lot of time out there. Joan would be on a boat with Frank and others for hours at a time. They built a docking area and cabins on the island for Frank. Seemed to be a very nice, very nice person. Yeah. Um, well brought up. I was impressed with him. Kind of in awe. <laughs> really? Why in awe? Well, you know, we live up here. We're not used to city people with money. <laughs> Sheldon made a lot of friends in the area. People from downstate flocked to areas like Traverse City, Charlevoix, Petoskey, and Leelanau. Sheldon would fly himself from Detroit to Charlevoix, and then from Charlevoix to North Fox Island. But before he could do any of that, he had to have the Cal Excavating Company create a landing strip. Seems to me it was like two or three summers by they find, finally got it done. Can, can you tell me what that entails, like what had to be done? Well, they had to cut all the trees and then uh, stump it all and then level it. And that is not an easy process. No, no. And they had to haul all, all the equipment out in barges. Right. And, mm -hmm. and Frank Sheldon's paying for all this. Yes. Mm -hmm. For Sheldon, this changed everything. Instead of hours on a boat, he could just fly to the island in under 20 minutes. And he would take his friends out there to fish, camp, and hunt. But really what he bought it for and installed the land strip was to run a child pornography operation there. And he had a private jet and he'd fly kids from Charlevoix to the island and um, had a filming operation there and had, you know, horrible, horrible things. I didn't really know about it at the time that it was happening. Kathy Firestone. I was writing my, my book about adding North Fox to my original manuscript that was South Fox Island. And um, 
during that time, Sheldon, Francis Sheldon, was charged with crimes about um, uh, involving a child pornography ring. Frank Sheldon appeared to have a squeaky clean reputation as a businessman and philanthropist. He boasted to the free press that he volunteered his time to the Big Brother program where he mentored kids. My family had a lumber business on South Fox Island in the 1950s and 60s. And Frank Sheldon came over there one day and um, he was talking in the uh, cookhouse about his brother, brother Paul's mission. And uh, my family members were quite impressed that he would want to do something like that for children. Brother Paul's was a summer camp for boys. Sheldon created it on the island. But police would later find out his generosity was masking his true intentions. Frank Sheldon would be proven to be a child pornographer and pedophile. His island, a venue for his crimes against children. His involvement in these activities in the state of Michigan went on into 1976, which overlapped with some of the child killings happening in Oakland County. Sheldon seemed to be a big player in this seedy underworld. He had the money and maneuverability to be elusive and destructive. Mark Stebbins was sexually assaulted, as was Timmy King, although Timmy was abducted after Sheldon's activity stopped in Michigan. But because of Sheldon's stature and connections to the others in the pedophilia community, it made sense to think that the people he knew, or even he himself, could be involved in these abductions, or at the very least, he might have known about them. We were the first to look at um, pornography and pornography rings in pedophilia as being a motive in this case. Wayne County Detective Corey Williams. So we put quite a bit of time and effort into that. Could the, were these kids filmed, uh, pictures taken, were they passed around? And uh, we don't know at this point, but we did put a lot of time and effort into that. And you wouldn't do that unless it made sense that those people could potentially be tied into it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's normal procedure for pedophiles to want to have trophies or photos or films of kids and that they could share with each other, um, especially back in the 70s. Retired First Lieutenant with the Michigan State Police, Michael Moyes. There is a theory that the pedophile community may have someone in it that committed these murders. We don't know because we don't know who was committing the murders. It's a logic, logical jump from that community to what was taking place, especially with the males being sexually assaulted. But how does a wealthy businessman meet boys and befriend them enough to get alone time with them? Sheldon had figured out a couple of ways to do this besides simply volunteering for the Big Brother program. One, he started Brother Paul's Nature Camp for Boys, which operated on North Fox Island. And two, he made friends with people who had direct access to children. We accessed the information about him through the school teacher that was arrested by the detective sergeant in St. Clair. Um, he would fly friends and males that were interested in interacting to his property on North Fox Island. A school teacher named Gerald Richards would be the go-between for Francis Sheldon and a group of kids. Gerald, or Jerry, was a gym teacher at St. Joe's Catholic School in Port Huron, Michigan. That's on the east side of the state, just across the St. Clair River from Canada. 
Richards had a lot going on in his life. He was a husband, a new father, a gym teacher, masseuse, magician. In fact, the side of his pinto was painted with the words Jerry the Magician on it. He also worked at an adult bookstore and actually ran for county commissioner once. Mr. Richards, yeah. Yeah, can you tell me who he was and a little bit about him? <clears throat> well, um... This is Mike Dunsmore. He grew up in Port Huron, went to St. Joe's Catholic School. Gerald Richards was his gym teacher. I don't remember the name of the, the gym instructor before him, um, but he was a really good guy. I mean, he was, I remember he was real athletic and muscular, and we, uh, we loved dodgeball, so that was his thing. You know, we got to play dodgeball and stuff. But from what I understood is he took a job as a, uh, like a baseball coach or something like that, and he left. And that's when Mr. Richards came. And it was really weird when he first got there, everything started to change right away. We had to, we had to all of a sudden start taking showers and we'd never showered before, ever. And his excuse was, well, you guys can't be going back to class stinking and, and whatever. So we had to start bringing towels, we had to take showers, you know, so whatever. Um, and he was just, uh, as far as a gym teacher, he just seemed off. He was real ranky and really, um, the guy didn't look like he could have fought his way out of a wet paper bag. And I'm, it was, as a kid, you don't go, well, what the heck is this guy doing as our gym teacher? He's like, well, this is our new guy. You need to respect that and it is what it is. But he just wasn't, he was, it was night and day compared to the, to the other gym's instructor that we had. Were you a front of the class kid or a back of the class kid? Absolutely in the front. This is Bill Johnson. He and Mike Dunsmore were classmates and friends at St. Joe's. I mean, uh, we always ate our lunch in our class in the classroom. The nun would go over to the condo, which was just adjacent to, to the school on the other side of the parking lot. And after lunch, I would get up and I would do my comedy routine every day until I got caught. And then that stopped. I was in front of the front of the classroom in the class and the back of the bus kind of guy, you know, always a character. But you know when. But you, your initial impression, though, before you like had the chance to look back. Um, my initial impression of Richards, mm-hmm. um, just a regular guy. He intrigued me with magic. He was a magician. No, if you if if you were aware of that. So um, come here, I'll show you magic tricks. So that was you know 10, 11 years old, whatever. That was really cool. So I thought that was cool. Um, so I think that was his his way of 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 gaining trust from me and some of the other boys. The kids found out quickly that things were going to be different from now on. Yeah, he would do the padding on the ass. Um, the only gym, gym teacher I ever had that would be in the shower, in the locker room when we were taking showers. Like, and Mike wasn't on the basketball team, so he would even come in during the basketball showers. Um, and, and I just thought it was odd, but at 11 years old in the Catholic school, you, you felt protected. And, 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 and I did, and, and I guess, I sort of dismissed it as, oh, I guess it's the way, it, that's just the way it is. Um, not knowing that, you know, come here, I'll show you this magic trick kind of thing and, you know, gain this trust and I, and I liked them. Um, yeah. Mr. Richards knew how to connect with the students. These kids didn't have a reason not to trust him. He was never really aggressive in any way. You know, you needed, you know, buckle down and do. He was just, he was passive, I guess would be the word. Um, just pretty much anything you did was okay, but you just, you know, 
just follow the authoritative figure. You know? During the end of the school year, Richards went to a handful of students and told them they had done so well in his class that they were going to get a trip to North Fox Island. From what I understood, he went to a couple of the other boys and myself's parents and said, these guys did an exceptional job this year in gym class, and as a reward, we'd like to take them up to the island. I remember uh, it, was, it was brought to my attention by, by Jerry Richards first, um, and had papers, you know, the permission slipped and whatever. And I remember my mom had to come to the school. She met him. No big deal. He talked about Mr. Sheldon, wealthy man. Um, anybody from that area knew, you know, he was very prominent, wealthy, come from wealthy family, so on. Um, everything just seemed legit. But that's what it basically was. It was because we, we did such a, an excellent job and we were so um, well-mannered that that was kind of a reward for us to go up to the island. But I know we went to uh, St. Clair County Airport all the family showed up with the parents and the kids. They got there and met Uncle Frank. That's how Frank Sheldon was introduced to the kids and families. Uncle Frank would also be their pilot, flying the kids and Mr. Richards all together on his personal plane. I remember getting on the plane, I was so excited. Uh, me and Mike, and there's two other kids, I think one was a, a grade above us and one was a grade below us, if I remember correctly. Family showed up with the parents and the kids. We all said, yep, boop, 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 got on the plane, and away we went. And <clears throat> I remember just taking off, just like rock stars. The boys were headed on an island getaway that would haunt them for the rest of their lives. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It was exciting. I do remember it was exciting. We're like, yeah, we get, you know, out of all the kids in the class, we get to go do this really cool trip. You know, I'd never had that feeling before, you know, it was, it was really cool. Uh, and I remember landing, I remember getting our stuff, getting our cabin, and, you know, within an hour, we were naked on the beach. That's just how it was. If you live on an island, this is how they do it, an island, so, okay. Again, 11 years old, I, I assume I was protected. That's my gym teacher right there. I remember seeing, you know, and, and I was, when I was talking to Mike, and we've talked several times on the phone, rehashing things, helping each other remember things. And he remembers as well as I do, the same cameras. You know, and it's like a beach, and, and to us, you know, we're in, in the Bahamas. <clears throat> and I remember seeing cameras, but me and the other boys were all naked. That's just the way, that's the way you did, that's what you did. If you want to be on the island, this way you have to do it. You have to be naked. So we were all naked. Whose words are those? Who's saying that to you? Uh, Jerry Richards. Um, I remember meeting 
uh, Sheldon. Um, him, he said the same thing too. This is how things are. You know, this is my island. I own this island. Blah blah blah. And and you kids are lucky and fortunate to be here. You know, so basically just adhere to these rules. Um, and and this is how we we are here. You know, and they were naked as well. The island was beautiful. It really, it was a really cool place. And we go down, the water was like, it almost looked like the ocean, but it was freezing. Um, and, hey guys, let's go skinny dipping. And then to me it was weird, because it's just supposed to be dark when you go skinny dipping, you know. Oh, there's no girls around, nobody's gonna see you. Here, watch, you know, he, so Mr. Richard takes all his clothes off, jumps in the water, swims around, come on, you guys, it's all right, and whatever, well, okay. You know, so we all take our swim stuff off, whatever, we jump in, and we're all running around naked. Well. Hindsight now looking at well, that's pretty wrong. I mean, really off key to be doing anything like that. But they made it so that it was not they, he, because Frank wasn't there. I don't know if he was a feminist or what he was doing. But Mr. Richard made it as, oh, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to see it. It's okay. Come on, look, I'm doing it. So let's do it. So we, that's what we did. Um, come on, guys, bury me in the sand. So burying him in the sand and, you know, and everybody's naked, running around, but we're, but it's okay because there's no girls around. You know that's the way they, that's the way they present it. But don't worry, guys. There's no girls. Nobody will see you. Um, so once again, they played on their trust. He did things like that several times, and, and I guess later on, I, I, it was figured a way for us to touch him, inadvertently. Like, let's bury him because he's naked, and then we're going to have to touch him, you know, somewhere. Um, he did games like that quite often. Um, again, you know, and if you started feeling a little uneasy, I remember a couple times feeling a little, little uneasy, you know, you'd do a magic trick and, oh, yeah, you know, it was cool. There were six people on the island, Bill and Mike, of course, Frank Sheldon, Gerald Richards, and there were also two other boys. At that time on the island, there were four cabins, two closer to the landing strip on the north end of the island, and the other two down a long pathway, which was near the southern part of the island. One of the cabins was known as the main cabin. This was the typical gathering place, a place where they would come to eat. It's also where Frank Sheldon slept. On this particular trip, he had one of the unnamed boys stay with him in his room. And the next cabin over, a smaller two-bedroom building, is where Gerald Richards and the other unnamed boy stayed. Bill and Mike were lucky in the sense that they had their own cabin, no adults. First chance I had where, the, where nobody was watching me, I was gone. So um, when they told me you can't be taken off, um, it was almost like uh, going somewhere and you're having a good, like we just say you're go, you're, you go to grandma's house and all the grandkids are there and you're playing and you're doing everything to have a good time because you, know, you haven't seen everybody. And it's like, you kids quit running. Go sit down over there for a little bit. That feeling that you, that's kind of what it was like when I, when I was told that I can't, uh, don't just be going out looking for stuff like they got to keep an eye on you all the time. So it, it kind of, kind of put some of the fire out, you know, it was just kind of still going, but it was, uh, it was, it, it felt like it was rude, you know, we, we, we want to, before it was, you guys have a great time. And then it was like, well, we need to keep an eye on you. And now it's almost like you're being watched all the time, you know, so I didn't enjoy that. You're noticing cameras like kind of all over the place? Yeah. 
right. Can you just maybe, if you remember any details about where you saw them? Like well, The first time I noticed them, we, we, we were on the beach within the first hour of landing with no clothes on. And I noticed, like, say if the beach is here, I'd see, you know, some cameras, you know, in the wooded area, the edge of the beach. Uh, we had cameras by our cabin. Are you questioning this at all? Or is it just kind of like this weird thing, whatever, we're just doing what we're doing? That basically, you know, that this, I, I think I may have questioned uh, Mr. Sheldon about it, you know, jokingly saying, you know, we're celebrities or something like that. And he says, yeah, you are. You know, that's the cameras, that's, we, that, that's how we do things here or something like that. Um, so I just kind of dismissed it as being normal. What was your initial, your first impression of Frank Sheldon? Uh, Mr. Richards had told us about him being a millionaire. And when you're 11 years old in the 70s, you know, a million is, is an unheard number, you know. Um, so I was, I guess I was impressed with him before I met him. Um, he's a rich man who owns an island and an airplane. <clears throat> um, so I, I guess respect at first. There was a stump and it was probably all about the size around as this chair, maybe four or five feet long. And I remember there was snakes on the end of it. So I rolled the thing, I like rolled it with the bottom ripped off of it and there was literally thousands of snakes in this thing. And there were, um, they weren't like just all garter snakes, there was ring neck snakes and milk snakes and it was just this, I never, I was, it was the greatest thing ever. I go back and I get Bill, and I said, you gotta see these snakes. He said, I don't really care for snakes. I said, well, come on, you gotta see this. This is really, I just, I wanted to show somebody. It's almost like, you ain't gonna believe this unless you see it. So him and I, we take and go out, and the snakes are still there, and he's like, you are nuts. I can't believe you're playing with these, because I gotta There's cameras by the trail that we took. Mike and I would go, you know, catch snakes and salamanders, and just do what boys do. And there's cameras, you know, a lot all over the place, really. From the time we walked there, checked them out, and then walked back, it was about an hour. But when we got back, we couldn't find anybody. You know, usually there was somebody right around the main cabin, and there was nobody there. So we, uh, we went down to the beach, ran down to the beach. We actually ran, because it was kind of like, what the heck's going on? So we ran down to the beach, there's nobody there. We ran back up, went to each cabin, nobody there. What the heck? They left us, that's the first thing we thought. So we take and run down to the airstrip, and the plane's there. So we're like, okay, well, what the heck? So we go back and the Jeep was gone. So we're like, oh, they must've just took a ride and they're out going around the island and whatever. So um, I wanna say it was, it was probably a couple hours. And then, then they came back and that was, they were happy, but the, but the, the two boys were different after they were quiet. They didn't talk anymore. Um, you know, we'd have a, we would have cookouts and stuff. We'd cook hot dogs and have the marshmallows and stuff. And everybody was talking, but those kids never, they didn't really talk at all anymore. They didn't say anything. And that, it was kind of odd, you know, that was just, as a kid though, you're not going, geez, I wonder what the heck's going on with her. It was just, they just seemed a lot quieter, you know, but I never really thought about anything. Just, they were just maybe not feeling good or whatever, so. I don't know if it's the exact same time, but I remember hearing one of the kids screaming and crying, like somebody was hurting him. And he was screaming and yelling, stop. And we didn't know what was going on, and we knew it was coming from a locked door. But we heard the kid uh, crying. I think it was a kid that was a grade above us. 
um, heard him screaming and crying to stop. Um, yeah, I remember that very vividly. The one older kid, <clears throat> he, uh, he was kind of quiet to begin with. He's kind of a tough guy, you know, at least I thought. Um, but then after that, he, he didn't talk. He didn't do anything more like sit at the beach by himself and, you know, down by the water. Um, of course, Jerry Richards is right there comforting, putting his arm around him, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it, Mike, I think Mike was the lucky one. Uh, just his natural curiosity to run and, you know, and be a boy and look around, you know, kept him safe, you know, and I'm glad for him. Um, I wasn't as fortunate. And uh, both of those kids never came back to our school after that summer. Never saw him again. I cannot speak for any of those guys other than myself. But m myself, personally, they didn't touch me. But Bill Johnson was not as lucky. They focused on me a lot, I noticed. Um, long blonde hair, blue-eyed, 11-year-old, you know. Um, the very first day we were there, and I had a sunburn, and Jerry Richards rubbed lotion on me everywhere. Um, Again, I just thought it was normal. That was uncomfortable. Um, but he just relaxed me. I don't remember even what he said, but um, just relax or, or something like that. You know, where I would rub lotion on me. Hmm. And yeah, that was the first day. That was the first day. I mean, is he touching your genitals? Like yeah. you? And he, I remember it distinctly, and, and I just spoke with my wife about this not long ago. I remember him taking lotion and putting it on his hand here and then just me laying on my stomach and just going between my, um, my cheeks, you know, with, with his hand like that. And, and I felt very uncomfortable, but he assured me everything was okay and this is what we're supposed to do. Again, I trusted him. You know, turn over, do the same thing because you have to protect that. You know, so every day he did that to me. I'm not afraid to, to tell the story now. Even as a grown man, you know, you got that little boy inside you that doesn't want to tell anybody. Um, but that little boy died a long time ago, so. It didn't sink in as, wow, these kids went through an awful hell. And, you know, until I started getting older and I was thinking, wow, you know, they, they used our innocence. And that, that sucks. It really does. Are you asking, like, Mike or any other boys? Are you like, what the hell's going on? I, I don't remember speaking to anyone about it. Um, if I would have said anything, it would have been to Mike because, you know, we were buddies. But I, I may have kept that to myself. I don't recall. Um, maybe I, I knew that I shouldn't say anything. Um, I do remember him telling us that anything that you see or hear, you can't tell anybody because we'll get in trouble for that. Jerry um, saying that. Yes, Jerry Richards. Um, so, you know, we didn't say anything. Do you remember feeling like shame or anything mm -hmm. like that? Absolutely. Can you explain like that? Um, I, I, I knew it was wrong. Um, 
it, it, it's hard to it's hard to describe. I yeah, I, I felt shameful. I knew it was wrong. Something I shouldn't have done. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, in my 11 year old mind, I never had nothing to say at confession because we used to go to confession once a week. And I never had anything to say at confession because I never did anything wrong. This is definitely wrong, so I'm definitely going to have to tell the priest this. So I felt bad. Should I say it? And, and they got you thinking, you know, you have to confess, you know, your sins in order to be forgiven. This is how we were taught. Um, so I think my biggest worry was if I should tell the priest or should I tell my mom, I should keep it to myself. They said, oh, I'm going to get in trouble, but am I get in trouble if I tell it to the priest? You know, so a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, it was a really messed up time, I guess. Um, yeah. Something horrific happened to those two kids. You're, you're pretty, you feel, at least one of them. You yeah, oh screaming. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we knew what happened. I mean, we talked about it. After, you know, uh, we know exactly what was happening to him. What was it? He was being raped. Um, if I was 11, he was 12 or 13 maybe. Um, and it, it just sounded like he was being murdered, you know. And that scream haunted me forever. You know, I guess the mind has a way of protecting you over time, and it's done that. Um, just recently, um, all of this stuff has come back to the surface, and I, along with my wife, agree that it's good that I talk about it and let the world know what a piece of shit this guy was. Sorry. It's fine. This guy being Jerry. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I, I went looking for him after and I wouldn't be sitting here in this interview, we'd be in prison, we'd be interviewing me in prison because I absolutely would have killed him. There's no doubt in my mind. Could never find him. Um, I, I even thought <clears throat> I'm gonna hire a magician <clears throat> and then have him show up and then I was gonna kill him. Luckily for him, I never found him. And I never knew where he was, but I always hoped wherever he was, he was in a lot of pain, you know? maybe being incarcerated and having somebody do that to him. Um, I, I heard he died sometime in the 90s. Um, don't know where he's buried. It's probably best that I don't. Um, yeah, he was a monster. And I trusted him. Gerald Richards and Frank Sheldon had done irreparable damage to the young boys. Bill, Mike, and the other two were subjected to horrible acts, and they weren't the only ones. One of the boys would tell his mother, then that mother told the police, and everything would change. And we had a federal fugitive flight warrant sent, and uh, that's the last I heard from him, or of him. He went to the Netherlands. And that's proven. Frank Sheldon was on the run. 
as a rat brings down child porn operations from North Fox Island to New Orleans. And back in Oakland County, a community was bracing itself as fear was at an all-time high. All eyes were on the task force with hopes that they could make the murders stop. That and more on the next Shattered. A very big thank you to Michael Dunsmore and Bill Johnson, who courageously shared their stories. I also want to thank Mike Moyes, Marnie Keenan, Corey Williams, Kathy Firestone, Joan Kelchick, Tenbrock, and Paul Walton. We also want the Grand Traverse Lighthouse crew to know they're appreciated for putting up with me. If you have any information that could help investigators, please call the tip line at 833-784-9425. If you have a story about the Oakland County child killer and how it affected your life, please call us at 313-223-2237 and leave us a message. We can also be found on Twitter, Instagram, and our Facebook page. Just search Shattered Podcast. A special thanks to Anastasia Klimovitz, Tad Davis, and Joe Prince for their help with interviews. Zach Rosen, who helps edit the show. Ro Coppola, who's the executive producer of Special Projects. The Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State and Mary Wallace. Dave Birch, who made it possible to record all of the film audio, and thank you to Kelly Allen. Additional thanks to Kevin Dietz for his help with the story. Our team also produced a five-part docuseries on this story, so if you'd like to see the faces attached to the voices you've heard, you'll find that and a lot more information at shatteredpodcast.com. Until next time.